0: joe biden speaking at five o'clock he's going to give us a robust six-point covid plan uh, an email from joe who said uh, or sorry joseph who says joe will be on at 5 p.m when people are commuting instead of prime time when they can actually watch this way uh, he can watch gun smoke at six that's the whole point of that right um <laughs> uh, thank you joseph uh, on rare occasions I do uh, I do dole out the rim shot here. just please generally leave it to the professionals. Um, Keith says on this whole uh, uh, this Leandro case and this judge David Lee at a Union County, uh, basically trying to enact funding policy for K-12 education in this state all by his lonesome. Um, Keith doesn't believe it. It's impossible. Because judges are supposed to be impartial, Pete. That's right. I know like that. Yeah. This is why I mentioned earlier that I've grown increasingly disdainful of the judiciary. And this is why. This is why I refer to like a lot of judges as just lawyers with robes. And I know that that's insulting. And I look, I know I like I know good judges. And they're not all like this. Unfortunately, though this kind of rot has infected so much of the judiciary. I have another story coming out of the Supreme court that like we are in this state, we are, the Democrats are barreling down this path to create constitutional crises because it is apparently in their political DNA to turn over the board when the rules don't allow them to do what they want to do. When they lose, according to the rules then they flip the game board over and they just make it up. We're into Calvin Ball territory. So Dr. Terry Stoops, the director for the Center of Effective Education at the John Locke Foundation, Um, I asked him a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about this Leandro lawsuit, and I said, is there anything now to stop the legislature from essentially creating their own plan to address the demands of the court rather than use... This consultant's plan uh, out of California that the Democrat judge adopted at the behest of all of the Democrat plaintiffs and defendants. This is, again, another collusive agreement kind of deal where you got the parties that they, they cut a deal and they like it all because they're all of the same political philosophy. Um, and then it's going to require the other guys, the Republicans, to do something that the Republicans don't want to do. And lo and behold, coincidentally, Democrats get their way. So could the legislature do their own sort of program?
1: They could, but the judges made it very clear that the comprehensive remedial plan is not a menu and it's not optional. Mm. And he expects everything that's included in the plan to be funded at the levels that specified in the plan. So, I, I think the General Assembly uh, absolutely should uh, focus on on expanding our our private school. A voucher program. I think they should uh, provide ways to provide uh, incentive and performance pay for teachers. So I, I don't think anyone disagrees that there should be an increase in spending. But the idea that every increase in spending that's proposed has to be consistent with this report is really the crux of the problem here because we want the General Assembly and we've given them the authority to determine where the money goes and how it's spent and uh, the idea that they no longer have the right to do so because the courts want some other set of plans to be implemented uh, i think is just absolutely ridiculous and and unfortunately we have uh, a judge working with plaintiffs and defendants and working uh, in many ways in concert with the governor to try to do just that to take away that the powers invested uh, by the Constitution to the General Assembly
0: and being able to dictate where taxpayer money goes. So again, the judge in this case says, I don't want to hold anybody in contempt. I far prefer to go another route, but it wouldn't be a stretch even at this point for the court to find beyond a reasonable doubt a continuing and willful and conscious refusal and neglect to follow the Constitution of the state. As defined by him, as defined by the the Leandro ruling that we, you know, the state has a constitutional responsibility to provide a sound basic education. Okay? Why can't that mean vouchers for every kid? Why not? Why would that be a uh, an unconstitutional plan? Education experts from California, they're defining what constitutes in North Carolina. They're defining what constitutes a sound basic education, and lo and behold, it's more money for administrators and teachers and counselors and, um, what, school nurses and the like. About $8 billion over eight years. About a billion dollars a year. By the way, just for reference, North Carolina spends roughly half of its budget on education. It is literally the number one spending priority in North Carolina and has been for decades, okay? So this idea that... K twelve education is somehow underfunded. It's not true. And also, there is research that uh, shows that once you get above a certain amount of money per pupil spending, that the returns on that are minimal. There, so you hit a point. It's roughly about eight grand, if I remember correctly. It's like eight thousand uh, dollars per pupil expenditure. And once you get to that number, anything above that, you're not really making a lot of gains. So if money was the answer, and by the way, the previous judge in this case specifically said, Judge Howard Manning specifically said that it's not just about throwing money at something. And Howard Manning has piped up about this, saying you just don't throw money at something. And so yesterday, Judge Lee said that he's heard that Judge Manning had said, you know, just don't throw money at something. And he says, we're not just throwing money at something. We're asking that this state comply with the Constitution by adequately funding a very reasoned and intense effort to come up with what's necessary. See, so they're not saying just throw money at it. They're just saying throw money at it. It's obviously not the same thing. We have a plan, you see. This is a plan, and we're asking the state to comply with this plan that we think is totally worth funding at the level we demand it to be funded. And if you don't, we're going to hold you in contempt of court. Folks, this is a constitutional crisis that is brewing. It's about it's about to unfold because he set a deadline now for October. um, Well, there's a couple of them, but there's he's got one deadline for them to respond. And then he's got another deadline. um, October 18th is the court hearing. So he gave them, I think, like a week prior. And if they don't come up with a plan and give it to him by uh, his by his deadline, then he's going to. Hold a court hearing and he's going to entertain options for how the court may exercise its re- remedial powers to remedy this constitutional deficiency. So what how this could go is the judge steps in and says, I'm going to hold the legislature in contempt and I'm going to essentially issue a, an order for you know relief declaratory judgment for relief and he's going to force the legislature by edict to fund what he demands it fund and when the legislature says no then what like what was the old line when there was the fight between the president and the supreme court he says well he has his order and let's see him enforce it like what is the judge going to do here you're up you're going up against the legislature we and we don't know how this shakes out News Talk 1110-993-WBT, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. You can also hit me up on email, Pete, at com and also on Twitter, at Pete Calliner. Let's head on over to the phones. Here is Jim. Hello, Jim. Welcome to the program. How are you?
2: Hey, Pete. Good, good to hear your voice in Charlotte again.
0: Well, thanks. Good to hear you.
2: me, 30 years ago, I heard of that North Carolina Constitution about the so-called free education. And I've always thought it curious, free free from what standpoint or to whom? And uh, because there's nothing free, certainly a good education is not free. And uh, Pete, I I grew up in a time when my grandfather, before he died in 58, showed me the two-room school that he went to school in until about the fourth grade down in South Carolina. I I know the condition of what we had as facilities 100 and 125 years ago. But right now, Pete, if you look at the facilities money that goes into education in North Carolina, and I'm including from the universities to the tech schools to all the K-12 schools, including the specialty schools like School of the Arts, Mm -hmm. I would contend, Pete, that we've got more facilities than we know what to do with.
0: (laughs) Well, and, it's in the it's in the be, it's probably about fifty billion dollars, um, in like when you add in operations plus you add in uh, all of the um, uh, the 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 capital costs. It's it's well over fifty billion dollars annually.
2: Well, Pete, I I think it's a visual symbol from the politicians and the bureaucrats to their local constituents. We're we're supporting education. Sure. We'll bill you a new $30 million high school and put fancy artwork out in front of it, and look what you've got.
0: Well, now, that's you've not true. Hang garbage. on. That's not true. It's not going to be fancy artwork. It's going to be that garbage that they just put in front of all government buildings.
2: But it's called fancy. <laughs> and, and it's some artist that can't support himself otherwise. Right. <laughs> so, so, P, it's not a free system. No. I argue that it's not even free to the individual's Six, of uh, first grader, six year old first grader that has no financial power otherwise to start education. And, and then on top of that, last year in the middle of the shutdown of our lives, you got a system like Charlotte where the teachers say, no, we're not going back to work. Mm-hmm. So I, I contend, Pete. You you put it in the hands of private education or commercial private companies. There's some of them on the stock exchange. You disband the North Carolina educational system. You dollar lease them, all the public facilities, and you'll have the best educational system in the, in the United States.
0: Uh, Jim, good to hear you, man. I appreciate the call. Good to talk with you again. Um this is an argument, actually, that Marcus Brandon makes. He's a former state lawmaker. He's a Democrat, a black man, and educator. And he was like, uh, just the Constitution says a sound basic education. It doesn't, that doesn't say that the government needs to operate the schools. It says it just needs to provide this education. And he's a big proponent of vouchers, of the opportunity scholarships, for this very reason. That these schools, you know, people, is part of the problem is people who are, you know, probably my age, Gen X, the best generation, and older, um, like, they have these ideas of what high school used to be like, and they think that that's, like, we're going to give that to our kids, and it's all the same, but it's not. It's not the same. And at what point does that model actually hurt the kids that are going to those facilities? It's not actually preparing them. I've got more stuff on this. That's why I'm kind of setting the table here. But first, let me get to... uh, Ray. Hello, Ray. Welcome to the show. How are you, man? I'm good, Pete. How are you doing? Good. What's up?
3: You know, your your um, voucher system won't work because the unions have such a stranglehold on the budget, and that's why the majority of the funds go. In fact, that, that's true for many jurisdictions, though. But the reality is the, the unions uh, pretty much dictate, um, you know, what their compensation level is, self-serving. So if, if the vouchers were to go to an education system and a parent had a choice, If they would go to, you know, a school that's run by the government or run that's uh, by another organization, if the other organization that has the vouchers, that takes the vouchers, is not unionized, the reality is they'll probably get a better education, and you probably save a lot of money, and that money could be put toward roads or any other issues, including public safety. But so long as you've got people, by and large, that uh, are are dictating by lobbying or other efforts to be able to support the education system where the union employees are working, then you're going to continue to see a spiraling increase of, uh, uh, um, you know, costs for education. And like what happened in Mecklenburg recently where they were saying, you know, a disproportionate number of... um, uh schools that need to be uh what is it remediated because
1: Mm -hmm. they didn't
3: a good education they are gonna deny them funds and that was reversed later by the court. But the reality is you gotta look at the lowest common denominator. What is the one factor that are common in those schools that are failing and look at why that is. Rather than looking at withholding funding. These are these are very big issues for almost any jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. But there's the true for areas where you have Democrats who are and activist judges like the one you're referring to who are basically saying, Hey, I'm gonna define because the the General Assembly hasn't done that, you have to define what is an adequate education and then go with that. But beauty's in the eye of the beholder, so right now, absent a definition of what an adequate education is, this judge might actually be able to put you know, funds to work doing something that are
0: not defined by law. So, uh, Ray, I appreciate the call. The the other question is, could this just be a strategy to push the legislature up against a wall, basically, in order to get them to do something, and then that gets them involved in the case? And if you can get them involved in the case, then they would be bound by your rulings. Got to think these things through. News Talk 1110, 99.3 WBT. Pete Callender Show. Just like in the Leandro case, there's another case that the Supreme Court could actually undermine credibility of the court for the rest of my lifetime, probably. Um, But I'm also kind of curious the reaction from the self-anointed defenders of democracy. Where are they? Where are they when the governor just assumes indefinite and, you know, widespread sweeping authority to issue all sorts of edicts. Where, where, where are the people, this is what democracy looks like, tell me what it looks like, The chanting in the streets, leading the protest marches and such. Where are those folks? Where are the people now saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, no, 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 this is not what democracy looks like. Democracy is not a judge ordering spending limits ordering the legislature to adopt some preferred bill. I keep telling you folks on the left, you're really, really not going to like this when the right starts playing by these rules because they will, they will. I was having a conversation with a friend just last night about this very thing. He was talking about how I remember, you know, Bill Clinton, because my wife started talking about how she was watching on television, the whitewater thing or, or not whitewater, the uh, Monica Lewinsky story or whatever. And, I think it's on FX. Anyway, uh, and, and that prompted him to say something about how, you know, oh, I remember Republicans and they were saying like it was terrible, he was wrong, and all this other stuff. And then they went and, you know, nominated Donald Trump. And I said, they're playing by your rules. You don't get to have it both ways, guys. This is the thing the left like just drives me nuts. So, like they keep pretending like they haven't already basically won the culture war. You won. It doesn't matter about a president's moral character anymore, guys. That's why nobody cared when you were like, but Donald Trump is a terrible person. He cheated on his wife. They don't care. You told them not to care. So they believed you. You don't get to cry about that now. Sorry. These are the rules now. They dictate so many of the rules and then they hate playing by the rules that they create. So back to this. uh, This is a Carolina Journal story published today about the uh, Leandro case. They've got a bunch of quotes here. So let me run them uh, run through them real quick. This is Dina Ballard, Republican from Watauga County, state senator. Uh, She's chair of the Education Committee in the Senate. She says the Leandro case has become a mockery of what it once was. As I've said before, a court has no more authority to direct the legislature to spend money or enact policy than the uh, legislature does to direct a trial judge how to decide a case. Pat Ryan, spokesman for the Senate leader Phil Berger, said, quote, I don't know how much clearer we can be. If Judge Lee wants to help decide how to spend uh, state dollars, a role that has been the exclusive domain of the legislative branch since the state's founding, then Judge Lee should run for a seat in the House or the Senate. That's where the Constitution directs state budgeting decisions be made, not some county trial judge. Senator Mike Lee, Michael Lee from New Hanover County, not the one from Utah, he called the judges' remarks on education funding, quote, misguided, saying lawmakers have increased state funding per student by 39% over the last decade. But but it's not enough. You know, it's a fun, uh, it's a fun game I like to run whenever having these types of discussions about either per-pupil spending or teacher pay raises and salaries. Ask, ask, what is the optimal figure? What's the number? Give me a number. Give me a number, optimal student expenditure, that will guarantee that we have a sound basic education, that all the kids are going to learn, that the schools are going to be top-notch, right? What's the number? What's the number for the average teacher pay? What do we need to pay all the teachers in order to make sure that every kid is going to be at or above grade level in reading and math? What's the number? And they never tell you a number. I've never had any, but the closest I ever get is somebody will say something to the effect of, "Well, the national average." So that so the national average gets us there, because in states that pay the national average, they don't have all of their students at or above grade level. This is the kicker on all of this stuff, and I remember there was a uh, there was a former assistant superintendent in charlotte mecklenburg schools her name was dr susan agruso and i remember talking to her one day uh, after one of the board meetings where she uh, rolled out all of the end of grade tests and she showed all the results and everything and um know, i said how much of this is actually just you know kind of basic statistics like it's just it's the bell curve i mean you we're looking at these charts and they all look like bell curves right you've got one group of uh, student you know, a cohort that's performing poorly. You got the vast majority of them that are, you know, in the middle in the shape of a bell that goes up and then, you know, the bulge that goes up and then it tails off on the other side, sort of like a bell curve. And anybody who studies statistics, right, knows what that looks like and knows why that occurs. And I asked her that. And she said, you know what she told me? This was, I did not record it. I was talking to her, I don't want to say off the record, because I wouldn't be saying it now, but I was talking to her afterwards and I said to her, like, how much of this is just math? Like, we're battling against, like, this is just the bell curve. And she says, well, we, yes, but we can't, you know, we can't come out and say that it's okay for these kids on this side of the bell curve to fail. It's PR. Right? It's, it, it's a refusal to accept reality. Because that is reality. That is math. Right? That's, dare I call it, science. Like, that's what that is. And that's not to say that they cannot learn, but it is to say that they're not learning in the environment that government has created for them. A one-size-fits-all, creativity-killing environment. So, no, it shouldn't be a surprise that a bunch of kids don't do well in that environment. It should not be a surprise. Uh, Let me go over here to Drew. Hello, Drew. Welcome to the show.
4: Hey, Pete. Pleasure speaking with you. I just wanted to tell you... Two quick things. First of all, I used to call on architects and on specifying particular materials, mm-hmm. follow up calls when they had spec something for a new building or a new school. One of the things that was most frustrating, and if I was with the ref, we used to, another factory ref, we used to laugh about it and say, You don't put this kind of stuff in some of the nicer hotels. Why are we putting it in schools? <laughs> and we used to laugh and In a very sarcastic way, saying that, you know, the buildings don't educate the students. The money would have been better off spent for educating versus buildings. And they do have a tendency to do that in this state and others. And the other point I wanted to make real quick was the fact that I don't know why Democrats, socialists, are so opposed to giving black, Hispanic, minority students vouchers. And it's always been a vexation to me. Why do you fight it so hard and say it's racist? I could go on, but that's all I got to say. Well,
0: I can answer the second question for you, Drew. The answer is that uh, the, the Democratic Party is a party of coalitions, much like the Republican Party is. Uh, and they need uh, black and Hispanic voters. So that's one. Those are two groups in their uh, coalition. So that's one reason. But the other reason is that they need the teachers union and they need those teachers. Right. They And so and and remember the education system this is one of the institutions that uh, you call them socialists right but the that philosophy the the people who are in education they are generally of the left and and like i have the stats right here i'll go over them next but um they are of the left and this is part of the long march through the institution so they recognize it's vital to keep people in these institutions right so they're trying to placate multiple coalitions, but also they need the institution so they can continue doing the work. News Talk 1110993 WBT. The Washington Post reported on research a few years ago by Verdant Labs using political contribution data. And they looked at the Democrat-Republican divide based on job type. And it's not surprising, right, that, like, in Hollywood, actors, like, 90% of the money goes to Democrats, 10% goes to Republicans. That's actually, um, that's not as big of a gulf as there is in the education field. Among English teachers, 97 Democrats donate, uh, or uh, uh, 97 Democrats for every three Republicans, with the proportion being... Even more one-sided among health teachers, 99 Democrats for every one Republican. Those that that's your teachers. Those are your teachers. While there are slightly more Republicans among math and science teachers, among high school teachers overall, there are 87 Democrats for every 13 Republicans. This is why I think I covered this a couple of weeks ago. The whole thing about critical race theory, like the stuff that they're peddling that's part of like this anti-racism, white fragility horse hockey. Um it's just the progressive agenda. It's just their ideology. And, and that's why, you know, this, this defense that they have, like, oh, we're not doing that thing, like, well, that's obviously not true. You guys believe this stuff, right? It's important to understand the influence of schools, on, uh, schools of education, which train the teachers, right? Dr. Greg Forster, Friedman Fellow at the school choice organization EdChoice, Also a top education researcher, he wrote that university education schools indoctrinate future teachers in left-wing ideology. He says all you need to do is look at the course catalog of any major ed school. Read the Twitter feeds of the professors, and you're going to find yourself swimming in an ocean of hard-left ideology. Critical theory, this was, by the way, written at, this is at pacificresearch.org. This is from 2019. He says, critical theory that says there is no truth, only power. Intersectionality that says you're not allowed to be right about anything unless you are right, that is left, about everything. Cheerleading for every fashionable left-leaning cause. He says the central concept in the ideology that rules education schools with an iron fist is that real pedagogy means the liberation of the oppressed. Liberation means left-wingery, because left-wingery means liberation. The schools is where this fight has been lost, by conservatives already. All right, let me bounce over here to Brian. Hello, Brian. Welcome to the show. What's going on?
2: Hey, Pete. Hey. Uh, great, great show. Content, excellent. Well, thank you. I, w- I wanted to share a story that I had the other day, and I'll be quick about it because I know time is short. I met a young lady at a Walmart in man She was rate, uh, lowering the flag at half mast, and I thanked her for it. And she looked at me quizzically, and I, I said, you "Do you know why you're lowering?" The flag at half mast. She said, "Pearl Harbor." No, oh my goodness. There is a representative answer of the type of quality we get from our public school system. She doesn't even know that Pearl Harbor was a, is celebrated or recognized in de- on December the seventh. Okay. Mm-hmm. And my point here is, this is this is the results we get from the public school system. She was about 18 years old. She said she went to a Charlotte-Mecklenburg school. I didn't ask her which.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: But another another uh, metric that I use to see if people are really educated is I ask them, can you describe the difference between the public sector and the private sector? <laughs> can you ask a high school or a grade student, a grammar school student, that question? I I would venture to say they have no idea what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. They are not, period, getting a quality education. And we've got the data, the science, to prove it.
0: No, I agree, Brian. I appreciate the call. I think, And this is the problem with this whole West Ed and Leand, uh, uh, plan in the Leandro court case, is that it assumes that the West Ed consultant plan is the way to fix it. And those assumptions are once again based on ideas and concepts of the left, right? That, well, we just got to put more money into the government school system and that'll fix it. I keep saying this, folks. If the last year and a half has not been enough of a, a motivation, if it has not been a clear enough example, get your kids out of this system. It is broken. Of course, I've been saying this for 20 years, so and I recognize I don't have kids in the system, so it's very easy for me to say these things. I recognize that as well. But I don't know how much clearer it needs to be. The The legislature needs to expand the opportunity scholarships quickly. If And and look, this may be the perfect opportunity. Take what this judge is doing, pushing us towards a constitutional crisis and saying, you know what? OK, we're going to voucherize the whole damn thing we're done this is the government giving a a guarantee for the opportunity for a sound basic education here's your ten thousand dollar a year check go to a school of your choice now it's up to you you had the choice to pick a school the government provided you that opportunity and you chose to go to that school or this school or whatever I, I don't know when I mean, you just keep if you keep doing the same thing, expecting a different result, like you're the crazy person. These people have told you who they are. They've they, they've put it on full display. If the test scores from last year and of course, like I get it, the test scores, everybody was, you know, sent home. They shut down. the. Like, for, I mean, think about this. They convinced the entire and I say they like these are the K-12 proponents over the course of decades have convinced American society to order itself around the schoolhouse. People make decisions on where to live. They make decisions on uh, when they can go on vacation, what jobs they can take, right? They make all of these decisions about their own lives based on a school, based on a government enterprise. And then the government closed it all down on them and said, best of luck, hope you got an internet connection and a laptop that you can plug your kids into. And then, lo and behold, nobody learned anything. And the kids in third and fifth grade don't even know how to read? You had one job, guys. But no, no, I understand. Like, you know what protesting is now. All right, Ted Budd, up next. Stick around.